0: We do pray for our brother Jeremy, and it's neat to see how you are using him all over the country, sharing his music and his story of your faithfulness in his life after losing uh, his wife. And, and Father, I just pray for him that you would keep him strong, that you'd keep him centered, Lord, in you. That you would keep him, Lord, in that place of, of just um, being shielded from the temptations that that are out there in in the realm in in which he uh, is involved in, in in traveling around and playing music. And God, I I pray that you would anoint him, that you would bless him, that you would just um, allow him to be used radically, Lord, for you, that his message would be clear and strong, and Father, that you would just bless him, Lord. Give him strength for the the many 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 concert dates that he's doing this year and um, keep him safe on the road and lord i pray most of all that his time with you his time in your word would be uh, very rich and that it would be a precious time and i just thank you for that brother and how you uh, use him and, and work through him and lord we pray tonight as we spend this time in your word that you would speak to our hearts Lord, we desire, like Habakkuk, to see you. Lord, that is our greatest need, is to have a clearer vision of who you are and who you want to be in our lives. And so I pray that you would bless this time, that you would overlook mine inadequacies as a teacher, and that you, Father, would, would just uh, speak to us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been about five weeks now in this book, the book of Habakkuk, and we've seen this prophet who starts off in this place where he's just wrestling with, with the Lord. He's wondering because when he looks out, in the same way like many of us, when we look out, all he sees there in Israel is corruption. All he sees is is people who have forsaken God and who have gotten caught up in in all kinds of just wickedness and immorality. And it and it grieves his heart. And there's a sense inside of him where he just feels like, Lord, you've got to do something. This can't go on. And Lord, you you need to judge these people. Lord, they're not listening to me. And so, Father, you you need to do something. And he's just wrestling, wondering with, Lord, how long is this going to go on? And then the Lord instructs him, the Lord reveals to him that I am going to do something. In fact, Habakkuk, I'm working already behind the scenes. And what I'm doing is I'm going to bring the Chaldeans or the Babylonians down. And they're going to be my instruments. They're going to be my tools to judge the people of God. And then Habakkuk really starts wrestling. He's like, wait a second, you can't use them to judge us because they're worse than we are. Lord, that doesn't make sense. How, how are you, you know, why are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? And, and that's kind of chapter one, he's wrestling. And then in chapter two, he, he comes to this place where he is still just wrestling within his heart, but he does the right thing. He, he goes into the tower, the prayer tower, to watch and to wait Concerning what the Lord might say to him. And what God reveals to him is basically this in chapter 2. Yes, I'm going to judge the, the, the people of Israel using the Babylonians, using the Chaldeans. But, Habakkuk, don't be alarmed because the, the Babylonians, they're going to fall as well. They're going to get their due. They might be my instruments now with my people, but, but they're going to be brought down because of their pride. And I'm aware of their immorality. I'm aware of their, their wickedness. And it's not going to go unjudged. And that's kind of the message that, that God gives to him there in chapter 2. And what he basically says to him, it's a pivotal verse in chapter 2. In verse 4, he, the Lord says to Habakkuk, Understand this, Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. I don't want you living by sight. I don't want you living by your emotions. I don't want you living by by what you can see based upon what I'm doing. But I want you to live by faith. I want you to trust me. I want you to cling to me. And so in chapter 2, he ends up waiting and watching. And he gets a clearer glimpse and idea of what God is going to do. And then here in chapter 3, he's going to end up worshiping. He's going to end up just just proclaiming the goodness of... Of the Lord. So let's begin here in verse one. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, at Shigionoth." Oh Lord, I have heard your speech and I and was afraid. He heard the words that God was going to do to Babylon, and basically it, it he says, Man, it, it terrified me. I heard your speech and I was afraid. O oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, when he says, O oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, it, literally, that can be translated, Lord, let your work live. Let it live. What you are planning, let it be done. And basically, it, it is what Habakkuk is saying here. He's saying, Lord, okay, you do what what you see is best. Go ahead, Lord. If you want to use the Babylonians, okay, I'm not going to wrestle with that anymore. Fine. Go ahead. Let your work live, Lord. Do what you think is best. But then he says this, but remember mercy. Remember mercy. Lord, you can use the Babylonians to judge us, but be merciful. The word mercy... Most of you know this, but if you don't, write it down. It means not getting what we do deserve. Not getting what we do deserve. All of us deserved judgment. All of us deserved hell because of our sin. But we've been given mercy. We, we didn't get what we deserved. And on top of mercy, we've been given grace. We got what we didn't deserve. That's what grace means. We received blessing and favor and salvation and eternal life and a quality of life because of the grace of God. And in Habakkuk gets here and he says, Lord, OK, do what you think is best. Go ahead. Re- let your work live. But remember mercy. Remember your mercy. In Psalm 136 it's an interesting psalm. Because it goes through and it kind of reach it just retraces everything that God, you know, ha- has done in this world, starting with creation. And it goes through and then each after each thing that's listed, it says there, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. I like that. God's mercy. Enduring forever. It keeps on going and going. It keeps on working because we need mercy. There was a politician who was at some political meeting and there at the meeting, there was a photographer and he took a photo of that, that uh, politician and he Uh, The politician saw it and and didn't really like the photo too much. And so he called the photographer and said, you know, I I really wish you would have used a a different photo. That photo really doesn't do me justice. And the photographer said to the politician, with a face like yours, I'd be asking for mercy, not justice. (laughs) There was a lady during the, the reign of Napoleon whose husband was convicted of treason. And he was sentenced to be killed. And she came to Napoleon on the day of his execution. And she came just begging, please, emperor, please, I beg you have mercy on my husband. And Napoleon said, your husband has been guilty of committing treason. He deserves to die. And she said to him, sir, I didn't ask for justice. I asked for mercy. And you know what? None of us want to come before God and ask for justice. Lord, I want justice. Be just with me. We, we don't want that. Believe me. But we want to ask for mercy. And the Bible tells us that his mercies are new every morning. I love that. Our God is a merciful God. His mercies are new every morning, which means we can't exhaust them. They don't run out. Your coffee pot runs out. Your gas tank Runs out. Your cupboards run out of food, but the mercy of God does not run out. It's new every single morning. It just keeps flowing. It just keeps flowing. It just keeps flowing. His mercies for our lives. And I don't know about you, but I, I need a whole new batch of mercy each and every day because, oh, with our flesh, we falter. Our flesh, we, we, we fall, we sin. And if God was going to just be just with us, oh, we would be in trouble. But he poured out his justice upon his son when he died on the cross for us so that he could now pour out his mercy on us. Mercies that are new every single morning, a new batch, and we can rejoice in that tonight. God's mercies are new and they're fresh. And so Habakkuk says, Okay, Lord, let your will be done. Do what you need to do. Do what you think is best. Bring in the Babylonians to judge us, but remember mercy. Be merciful upon us. Verse three God came from Teman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. Now Habakkuk is beginning to see this vision here. His glory covered the heavens. And the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, and he had rays flashing from his hand. And there his power was hidden. I'm going to read verse 4 again. His brightness was like light, and he had rays flashing from his hand. And there his power was hidden. These verses are interesting to me. Habakkuk has this vision here of the Lord coming in his brightness and in his glory. And notice he, he says there in verse 3 that his glory covered the heavens. The glory of God filling the heavens. This reminds me of in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah has this revelation, this vision of God. In the year that King Uzziah, Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. And he was sitting upon his throne and he was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. It filled the sanctuary and the train was often related there with with the glory that a king or a queen, as they had a long train there on their robe, it would be a sign of, of their glory and their majesty. And that's the idea there. Isaiah sees the Lord in his train of his robe. It's, it's filling the temple. Being a pastor for a lot of years now, I've done many, many weddings. And I have seen some long wedding trains on on a you know girl's dress i've seen some long trains on some wedding dresses i've seen some that that you know almost came all the way down the the steps here i mean it was just a long long train beautiful trains but i've never seen one that covered the whole sanctuary that covered the whole deal but god's glory it covers all of heaven It's everywhere. So he's catching this vision here of the glory of God. And then he says, and the earth was full of his praise. Now the scriptures tell us that creation groans waiting for the redemption. Waiting for the fulfillment of of Jesus. You know, the word redeem means to buy back. And Jesus, when he came and he purchased us and he bought back this this world that had been forfeited into the hands of Satan, he bought it back with his blood. And one day he's going to come back at his second coming and lay claim to it. And creation is groaning. They're waiting for that day. And I really believe that we're going to see there in the millennium, we're going to see aspects of creation worshiping the Lord. Like they're not able to do now. I think it's possible When Jesus said at his triumphal entry and the, the, you know, the the religious leaders said, you know, you need to tell these people to be quiet. You know, they shouldn't be praising you like that. And he says, you know what? If they were silent, the rocks would cry. I think it's possible that in the millennial reign, when Jesus comes back, that, you know, the rocks are going to be singing. There's going to be a real rock concert, you know, taking place in, in, in that time. I really do believe that. Creation is groaning. They want to be put back to how things, you know, were in the very beginning. And so the, the earth is full of his praise here. It's interesting. Creation wants to praise the Lord and can't. And we who can oftentimes don't. Isn't that interesting? They can't and want to. They're groaning. They're yearning, you know. Well, I want them to come back and set things right. And we can and so often. Many times we don't. And then he says this, and his brightness was like the light rays flashing from his hand. And the idea here is that of incredible illumination. It makes me think of there in the book of Acts when Paul, the, uh, actually before he was Paul the apostle, when he, when he was Saul, the persecutor. Saul was heading down to Damascus and he had um, authority there in his hand to go into Damascus and to put the the Christians in prison. To divide husbands and wives and parents from their children and to take the Christians and to throw them there in jail because of their believing in Jesus Christ. And he's going down there. He's on his way with the full authority and with the full zeal that he's going to single-handedly put an end to this, this new religious group that is on. the scene and it's there that he all of a sudden is is stopped by a light we're told a light that blinds him that luke describes in the book of acts a light that is brighter than the sun at noonday brighter than the sun at its brightest moment and it knocks saul off of his horse and there he's blinded by that light and that light was jesus who declared to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" Because you see, when people persecute God's people, they're persecuting Him and he says, "Lord, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And Saul answers, "Who are you, Lord?" He knew who it was, and what do you want me to do?" And there he sees this, this light. Brighter than the sun at noonday. But but I want you to notice the last part of verse 4. He's talking there about the brightness of his light and rays flashing from his hand. But he says this. But there his power was hidden. He sees the Lord coming back and he sees his light. He sees his glory. But his power is hidden. Paul or Saul saw the light. But his power... Was hidden. And I think this shows us just how powerful God is. How incredible God is. Saul sees a light that is brighter than the noonday sun. And yet there's a brightness, there's a glory, but there's an absence of power. The power is hidden. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. He asked to see God's glory. And the, the Lord says, you know, you can't see my glory and live, but I'll allow my backside. I'll let you see an aspect of my glory, Moses, to pass by you. And Moses comes down from that experience and his face is all aglow because of that experience. But the power, the power of God was hidden. I think in one sense, it's like the sun. You know, we go out on a hot, sunny summer day. And we need sunglasses. It's hot. It's bright. We look up at the sun and it's like, man, you know, it's it's brightness. But we really are not capturing its power. We only could capture its power. We only see how powerful it is if we were able to get close to it. If we had a spaceship and we were only able, as soon as we would get too far, we would see its power. It would burn us up. It would disintegrate us. And in many ways, that's that's how the Lord is. We see glimpses of, of his brightness, of his glory, of his majesty. But his power is hidden. We have no idea just how powerful he is. It would kill us. And I love this phrase here that he's coming in his brightness and his glory, but his power is is hidden. But there will be a day when his brightness and his power will both be on display. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. I love this verse. It tells us that when the Lord comes, that he is going to destroy the Antichrist with the brightness of his power. That when he comes here to this earth in his glory, that that. The enemy who is going to be doing his thing on the earth and seems so powerful with with signs and wonders is going to just be gone. Just like that. I was thinking about this last week that, you know, it's not going to be a Lord of the Rings type of, you know, situation when the Lord comes back. It's not going to be this great big battle and, you know, guys fighting it all out and, you know, people falling off of buildings or castles and all of this. It's not going to be like that. The Lord is just going to come and in the brightness of his glory, the enemy is going to be destroyed. It's going to be that simple. Now, here's the beauty in all of this, though. This God, who is so majestic and so incredible and so wonderful, and in and, and his brightness, if we were able to, to, to see him, you know, like, like Moses did, we wouldn't be able to handle it. But at the same time, he allows us to get close to him. We're told in the book of Hebrews in chapter one in verses uh, verse three, speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. We get to see the brightness of God's glory when we get a glimpse of who Jesus Christ is. And we see the, the the brightness of God's glory in its fullest extent when we see Jesus on the cross. Because it wasn't until he was going to the cross that Jesus said, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now's the time. Now's the time for my glory to be seen. How is it going to be seen? In his death. In his death. Because there we see that the glory of God is related to the love of God. And the love of God is seen the clearest. It's seen in the most powerful way. It's seen in His at the cross, at Calvary. In the death of our Lord. So he sees this vision here of the coming of the Lord. Let's pick it up in verse 5. Before him went pestilence. And fever followed at his feet. And he stood and measured the earth. And he looked and, and startled the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. And the perpetual hills bowed. His ways are are everlasting. And I saw tents of Kushan in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O Lord, you were displeased with the rivers and was your anger against the rivers, was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses and your chariots of salvation. Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. You divided the earth with rivers and the mountains saw you and trembled and the overwhelm the overflowing of the water passed by. And the deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high and the sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows, they went and at the shining of your glittering spear, you marched through the land and igni- in indignation, you trampled the nations in anger, you went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation, with your anointed. you struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck, you thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages, and they came out like a whirlwind to scatter me, and the rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. And you walk through the sea with your horses and through the heap of a great of great waters. Now, there are two schools of thought concerning this portion of Scripture, concerning this passage. Some think that Habakkuk is speaking in the future tense here, that he's talking about the second coming of Christ. When he mentions there in verse 3, when he speaks of him coming from Teman, Teman is Edom. And there's a there in Isaiah chapter 63, it talks there of the Messiah coming and he's going to pass through that area of Eden, that uh, that area of of Edom, that area of Teman. And he's going to head on his way from there into Jerusalem and he's coming there in in blood and it's speaking there of his of the tribulation time. And the Lord coming there to, to set up his reign and his rule upon the earth. So some look at this and they think of it as, as Habakkuk is getting a glimpse of what God is going to do in the future. But others view it as as the past. Speaking of God's dealing or delivering Israel from Egypt. And talking about when he took them from the area of the, the land of Midian and, and took them there, you know, into the promised land. And he delivered the villages over to them. And so some people believe that this is speaking of of the past. It's speaking of of the Lord delivering his people from Egypt and leading them into the land of promise and then giving them the land of promise like we've been studying in the book of Joshua. So which is it? To be honest with you, I don't think it really matters. The focus here is is on the glory of God. And I think you can look at it either way. If you're looking at it from the past, God is trying to encourage Habakkuk and say, look what I'm going to do or look what I did in the past. And know this Habakkuk, that you can trust me in the present. You you see my faithfulness here in the past. Or if you want to look at it the other way around, look what I'm going to do in the future. Look what the future is going to hold when I come in my power and in my glory. I I don't think it really, really matters, whether it's a reminder of the past or a revealing of the future. It is meant to give Habakkuk a renewed heart in the present, in his present situation. To be renewed and to be filled with a sense of peace. And I think the lesson for you and me in this is that the Lord would have us to think back and to review his faithfulness in the past. His past faithfulness in our lives. So that as we look at and think about his faithfulness in our past, it gives us hope as we anticipate the future. And what God might do in the future and where things are going in that whole unknown that we can't clearly see. But as we think about his faithfulness in the past and it helps us to anticipate the future, it also gives us a peace in the present to know that, hey, I, I can look back in the past and I can understand and realize that, God, you have always been faithful in my life. Some of you here tonight are worried about the future. I want to encourage you. I think the Lord would encourage you to think back on the past. To think back on God's faithfulness in your life. The things that He's done, the things that He's brought you through, the trials, the sicknesses, the financial difficulties, the times when when you thought you were at the end of your rope and God came through and God was there. You know, when my daughter was diagnosed a few months ago with diabetes, my daughter Amy... It really grieved my heart. And I was like, God, what are you doing? My daughter has already been through a few different things. And, and and I just thought, you know, Lord, she's already dealing with this and dealing with this. Why, Why that? Why that on, you know, top of everything? But as I sat there and I thought about her and I thought about, The Lord and just what he's done in in our lives, you know what, through every single situation, he's been so faithful. There's been times where I sat there and I just thought to myself, I don't know what to do. I remember the first time Denise and I went up to to Oregon when we were going out to spy out the land and wondering if we should go and start a church there. And, And our son got really sick. He was about two years old. And we went we had to rush him to this hospital. And there at the hospital, they, they took him in, in, into this room and they made us stand on the other side of this glass. Like like the glass, you know, back there in the, that separates the sanctuary from the foyer area. And we're watching as this doctor, you know, puts his arms up like this. And they're putting this plastic thing over his chest so that they can do these x-rays. And it's very uncomfortable. And he's like just screaming at the top of his lungs. I'm wondering, I mean, he was really having a tough time breathing, he had this horrific, you know, allergic reaction. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, oh my gosh, is he going to die? And he's looking at us in the mirror, you know, when this doctor's doing this, like, how could you let this guy do this to me? You know, and I'm, my, my heart's just dying, you know, as he's got this look on his face, like, you know, like, you betrayed me, Dad, you know, type of a thing. But, you know, the Lord got us through that. And he ended up being okay. And there's situations like that. Too many to to mention. Too many to go through in my life, in your life, where you've seen the faithfulness of God. And God has taken you through those things. And the Lord would say, as you look out at your future, and you think, man, I'm, I'm worried, I'm scared, I'm frustrated. The Lord would say, look back. Look back and remember what I've done. How I've carried you. And the times when you felt like you couldn't even walk, you couldn't even take another step, and I was there to carry you. And the times when you were afraid that I was there to meet you. Some of you, you're in a place, though, when you look back at your past, your BC days, before you came to Christ, it's very disheartening. Because of your past. And, and, and you struggle sometimes with that. And the enemy loves to use it. And, and he loves to come and say, you know, you are, you're such a failure. And you're still holding on to this. And you're still dealing with that. And, and, and you're, you look back on your past and, and you wonder, is there any hope? And the Lord would say to you tonight, look what I've already done. Look what I've already done. Look at what I've already done in your life. I remember years ago talking with a young gal in our church who was very hard on herself. And I had known her for quite a long time, and I'd really seen God do an awesome work in her life. But she was living under so much condemnation because she was seeing what, everything that still needed to be done. She was seeing the change that still needed to happen. She was living under this horrific condemnation and just, just crying. And I was talking with her, you know, one night where she was just like, you know, I don't, is there any hope for me? And I was able just to take her back and say, you know what, look at this. Though I remember when, when we first met, when you first came here and where you were at and what was going on. And look what God has done. And sometimes we need that encouragement from each other. To look back and to see what God has done and to realize that that as you might look at your life and you might think, you know, man, I feel like, yeah, I'm making some progress, but I've got a long way to go. Remember Simon. Jesus meets Simon and he says to him, he says, you know what, your name is Simon, but I'm not going to call you that anymore. I'm going to call you Peter. Simon meant shifting sand. Peter meant rock. And what Jesus was illustrating there to Simon was this. I see the finished product. That's what the Lord sees in us. He sees the finished product. So the Lord t- gives uh, Habakkuk here a-, a-, a vision, I believe, of the future. It might have been of the past. Let's pick it up in verse 16. He says, And when I heard, when I heard this, my body trembled, my lips quivered, at the voice And rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Habakkuk's response to the vision is he he trembled at what it meant. He trembled at God's coming. And like Habakkuk, we can say, you know, as we think about the Lord's coming, Lord, come quickly. But here's the thing. We need to remember what that means. For those who are going to be left behind. Oh, we want to see the Lord come quickly. We want him to take us out of here. But it's going to be hell on earth. For those who are left behind. And Habakkuk gets a vision of the Lord coming in his glory. And and, and it's, you know, he's partly excited. But he's also like just brought to that place of just, wow. It's heavy. Trembled, trembled inside of him. Verse 17. And through the fig, or though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, and though the labor of the olive tree may fail, and the fields yield no, no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. I love this. Habakkuk says, look, it doesn't matter how bad things might get. Lord, I know that you are on the throne and I am going to praise you. And this is so key. And I need you to hear this. We're going to be done in just a minute. It doesn't matter how bad things might get. The Lord is on the throne. He is still God. Remember the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 15? They come to the Red Sea. And God does this incredible miracle. Parts the Red Sea allows them to go through. They march right on through and they're going through the waters. And I love how it's depicted in the, you know, Prince of Egypt where the, you know, big fish is swimming through. I love that. And and I, I can just see these guys walking through just going, wow. This is amazing, you know, and they're going through and they get to the other side. Here comes Pharaoh. They can do it. We can do it. And they start, you know, going right on through. And the Lord has the waters fall down upon them. And what happens on the other side of the Red Sea? They start singing. They start dancing. They start praising. Miriam writes this great song and Moses and Miriam. They're leading the the, the congregation in worship. But here's the deal. What were they doing on the other side of the Red Sea? They were complaining. They were about ready to kill Moses. (laughs) What have you done? You've led us into this boxed in area. And it's great that they were praising God at the Red Sea, but they should have been praising him on the other side. On the other side. It's easy to praise God when he brings you through the Red Sea. But we need to praise him when we're on the other side. When we're in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, like Job declared, though he slay me in Job chapter 13, I'll still trust him. That needs to be our heart. Lord, when things are tough, I'm going to praise you. Because you're on the throne. You are still God. I'm going to rejoice in you because you are worthy and you are true. In all your ways. Verse 19. The Lord God, he says, is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Now here's the deal Habakkuk goes from the valley of despair wrestling, wondering, God, what are you going to do? What is going to happen? He goes from the valley of despair to rejoicing now on the mountaintops, rejoicing and worshiping. He says, he'll make my feet to walk on the high hills, the mountaintops. Now, here's what's interesting, and I want to close with this. In one of our next studies on Sunday night, we're going to study the book of Jonah and most people think of Jonah great Jonah and the whale or the big fish there's a lot more to the story of Jonah than him getting swallowed by a fish in fact it is one of the greatest illustrations of the grace of God in all of the Bible we're going to look at that in one of our next studies here on Sunday night But what's interesting about Jonah is that Jonah, like Habakkuk, was a prophet who wrestled with God's will. He didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach to the people. But that's where the comparison ends. Habakkuk and and Jonah, they both were wrestling with God's will. But Jonah ran from God and had to learn in a big fish. Habakkuk was wrestling with God's will and he ran to God and he learned in the high tower. In that place of prayer. Now I ask you this question in closing. Which example characterizes your life? Are you one who as you wrestle maybe with God and his will. That you run from him. Oh, I can't handle this. I'm going to go out and you know get in the flesh. I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down tonight. and I'm going to turn on you know whatever. Is that how you deal with it? You run from the Lord. Or, like Habakkuk, do you run to him? Put yourself in that that place, the tower, that secret place, so that he can speak to you and minister to you. You see, here's something that we desperately need to understand about our Christian lives. God has a plan for each of us. And the ultimate plan that he has for each one of us is he wants to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And he will do that through a series of of trials and difficulties that, that he will allow us to go through. And I like to characterize or think of those trials like an open door. Excuse me. Or a doorway that we have to pass through. And we all have our doorways that we come to. Now, you can do one of two things when you come to the doorway. You can go through it. And see what God wants to teach you. And see what he wants to reveal to you about himself in that time. You can be like David in the midst of of there when Goliath was in the valley there of Elah. What does it say? We read there in 1 Samuel that David did. He ran at Goliath. And I love that. And you can run at your door. Okay, here it comes, God. And I'm going to go through it and see what you want to do. Or you can run from it. But here's the thing. God loves you so much. He'll let you run from it. But you are going to come back to that door again in one way or another. You're going to come back to that door in one form or another because God's desire, his heart is, I want to do a work in your life. And for me to do this work in your life, for me to deal with your pride, for me to deal with your selfishness, for me to deal with this area of your life that really needs to change. You've got to pass through this door. And so you run and you think, I made it. I escaped. And a year later, a month later, you come back. Oh, it's a different door, but it's the same type of situation. Because God says, I love you so much. And I'm going to complete the work. It's my promise that I have begun in you. But in order for it to be completed, you've got to pass this way. You've got to go this way. So again, I ask you tonight, which prophet do you want to be like? Jonah, who ran from the Lord and had to learn in a big fish. You can learn the hard way, in other words. Or Habakkuk, who ran to the Lord, put himself there in the tower in the secret place and said, "Okay, I'm going to set myself in this place. I'm going to have my pen and paper in hand so that I can write the vision that God would say to me. Because I want to be a man that lives by faith. And so, Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm running to you. I'm clinging to you. I want to be like Habakkuk. And hear this prophet, because he does run to the Lord. Jonah runs away and gets an illustration of God's grace. And and, and even at the end of the book, you kind of get the idea. He still hasn't got it. He still doesn't quite understand it. God's been showing him grace all the way through. Habakkuk runs to the Lord and what does he get? He gets a vision of God's glory. And it's so amazing and it's so powerful that he says, man, it, it makes me just want to tremble in a good sense. Maybe the Lord wants to reveal his glory to you as you run to him. As you put yourself there in that place, possibly even tonight as we wait upon him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that you do love us so much. That you do desire to do this work in our lives. So Lord, tonight, We come into this place where, Lord, we want to just say to you concerning the situation that we might be encountering. Lord, let your work live. Do what you think is best. Do what you think is right. In my situation. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to praise you, Lord, because you are on the throne and you are sovereign and you are faithful. And Lord, we thank you for your past faithfulness in our lives tonight. That allows us to anticipate your future faithfulness in our lives later on. That gives us a peace now in the present. And Lord, it's with that in mind tonight that we want to just lift up our hearts and lift up our hands and lift up our voices and just declare, Lord, that you are king and you are God. In Jesus' name, amen.